hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to uh, Hamster with a Blunt Penknife. Mr. John Dorney, hello. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm having a very stimulating conversation. I'm extremely You're having a good time. I'm enjoying this, yes. Um, we are going to skip into uh, Carnival of Monsters episode four. I've heard people say that this story falls apart in this episode. I don't think it's Monsters. true, but let's, let's talk about it. I will press play then in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. There's a line right at the beginning of this episode where um, Pletrak is like, don't touch him. He could be carrying terrible diseases. <laughs> he's definitely... Oh, that's a bit... He's a daily yeah, mail nah, reader for sure, isn't he? Where I mean, you can find things in the connection everywhere, can't you? Jeez. Yeah, it's... Um... I'll tell yeah, you what um, a, good, a good Robert Holmes script reminds me of is, you might think I'm mad, but you know like the, the, the Pixar movies, which are very oh, yeah. fun, entertaining movies in their own right, um, suitable for children to watch, but there's layers and there's, there's lines with, yeah. you know, social commentary, if you, yeah, want, yeah, yeah. If you want to see it. It's the thing, it's, um, I'll come back to that in a second, because I suddenly remember, from what I remember, this was, given what we said about how good a cliffhanger that is in terms of marking the plot, I don't think that was originally the cliffhanger. I think it was originally a bit more of a, of a standard peril one. I can't remember the details. An accidental um, brilliant cliffhanger. That's cool, yes. Well, so so go, wind back. So we're saying Pixar structure, blah blah blah. Um, what was it? Well, it's yeah, just the, it's it's working, on, working on layers. So it's it's perfectly acceptable for children to watch because it's yes. fun and it's full of action and adventure. But like here, there's some social commentary as well, so the adults yeah. can pick up. On I, that. I find it really interesting. Um, I, I've done Panto a few times, and I. I I like that thing where it works on, on different levels for kids or whatever. I find that often when people do that kind of thing, um, I it, it always seems a bit cheap when it's just like sneaking in some filthy jokes. Because yeah. uh, you go, no, no, you can have things that are are just a bit clever and a bit witty and and they're, it's not excluding people. It's not kind of laughing behind the kid's back as such. Because uh, these are jokes you could get. If, if, if you're a kid or whatever, you could go. This is not. This is not saying something that is excluding you. It's including you, but you are just maybe not the right age of it, or you're not aware of the context. Um, yeah, that feels to me like it, it's, a, it's. There's something a bit mean spirited about doing the. Joke, but this is. Um, I don't think Pixar does it. I think Pixar's jokes are always clean and always clever. In the same breath, you know, I've I've been to see some like bitingly smart pantomimes as well, with some yeah. really lovely like political commentary in them. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there are usually dirty jokes as well, though. That's the bad thing. There's usually the dirty jokes in there, too, because people can't yeah. ex expect that end of the peer humour, don't they, in a panto? Yeah, yeah. But I think usually it's at its best when it is, you know, saying something, when the thing for the adults is something kind of smart as opposed to a little bit crass, yeah. um, which is, I mean, you know, every, to be honest, I've used dirty jokes from time to time anyway, just because, um, you know, it entertains me. Um <laughs> And every every now and then, I just try to sneak in something that I that I I, I, and <laughs> I hope people aren't going to spot, and they almost always do. So, um, well, I have it. Has it ever been through like a, a script editor, and they've gone, "Oh no, <laughs> that's too um, much." Yeah, every now and then, I think there was I I, I wrote a line. Well, I thought this was just really subtle in um, one of my Missy and the Monk stories, uh, where 
I, I think Missy said, said to the monk, are you baiting me? I've always thought of you as a Missy baiter, oh. which I thought was a really <laughs> neat gag. And, and that went through at least two drops before everyone just went, you can't have that. You can't have that. Oh, um, I think but that's again, I think we're going. It's not just doing a, a, a dirty joke. It's a little, it's multiple layers. You have to go through. You have to figure <laughs> out what. Yeah, it's quite quite fun. I don't think kids um, kids wouldn't get that though. I don't think kids would get that. Well, that's just no, no, exactly. Though. But it's, yeah, but no, every now and then, and um, and every now and then, it's just been um, lines that have been tweaked. There's one. I feel like I forget we're saying this. Um, uh, how to make a killing in time travel. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was one uh, thing that went through like all the way to recording and then due to various circumstances um, shortly shortly just before it was released um, had to cut the punchline to it where a, a good chunk of the plot and the structure was built towards a specific one line, went back two word joke at the end. Um, uh, where I bent over backwards, making the plot fit this gag, and then the gag the gag is had to be removed. Just basically, yeah, this this alien with um, a faulty um, translation unit. Um, it was because I was vaguely trying to channel the Kern brothers, and I always liked the way they would bring in such weird um, people. It was always a bit strange. And this one, yeah, had a broken translation unit, so it didn't speak quite proper English. Right. And yeah, she she was just about to get blown up by, and was supposed to look in this box with this shuttlecock that explodes and just went ah, spherical objects um which was because uh, sometimes it was just synonyms and that was just a bit too filthy and you're going <laughs> really okay but and that's cut and it just kind of every now and then you just hear it go that feels like it's just missing the joke yeah, you're missing your so, I, I can, I, yeah it should be there it's not there um and it, it's building towards this punchline that never quite happens um yeah i wasn't allowed my, my first pass on that was uh, to look into the box and go oh intercourse um, but I wasn't like that one either. That, that's, that's the level where they're okay. just going, no, John. So, I hate to know. say it, but that got the bigger laugh from me there as well. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, but it's, but it's one of the things where I, I kind of put that in just the basic thing. I know I'm not going to be allowed this, but I might oh. as well try. And that's always the thing. It's trying try to write things that just, um, you fling in what you can, um, and, and, and then you don't know what's going to be like knocked back. Because, yes, I, I try and like push it because you can't, you can't, you can't add stuff, but you can take it away. That's the thing. So if it's too much, people yeah. say, John, no, John, this is too much. Calm it down a bit. But if you haven't pushed it, you, you might always then be underneath and, um, and be not as, you know, as odd as you can go with it, really. So, yeah. I've got a question about, yeah. um, well, and it's great to ask you as a writer, where do you imagine Robert Holmes started with this script? I, do you think he's like, okay, I've got the idea of the miniscope, that's my payoff. How do I yeah. how do I build a mystery around that? Or do you think he just thought, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna set it all these all these different places, and then you know I'm gonna think up an answer later on? Because I do genuinely think um, now for me it's an issue in Moffat Who where there's a lot of uh, like promise, so there's a lot of mystery yeah. and there's a lot of but not a lot of payoff. So I always feel like that started from from the uh, notion of like. Okay, all these exciting things are happening. All these questions are going to be asked. I'll think up the answer later. What's the better? What's the better approach? Is it is it better to, well, to start with your it, with your answer and then build to it, or to just write a story and see where it leads you? Well, I think I think there's a it, it, it's a tricky thing because I think 
in terms of the, the Stephen Moffat stuff, um, I, I think he kind of largely had a, an idea of the answer, but this is the problem when you're writing episodically. Um, it's unlike, say, you complete a novel where you can always then go, ah, oh, this bit towards the end, um, this doesn't make sense with this bit I did at the I'll just tweak that bit at the beginning. Mm. On an individual story, you can do that. But once um, you're doing it episodically, every now and then it's just not going to fit and it's not going to quite make sense. Um, oddly enough, I was having a discussion with someone about this on, on Facebook today about Rise of Skywalker. Um, um, yes. Where, where yeah, there is, where <clears throat> wing, winging it as you go along is sort of what has to be done with, with episodic TV or, or like as a, when you're telling a story along on. So there's a degree to which it's kind of bound to happen. It's not going to hang together. I noticed this really with um, like His Dark Materials, the original books of that, mm -hmm. um, where both of the first and the second books kind of end with a cliffhanger and the premise of, premise of where it's going. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Philip Pullman's clearly started writing the next one and gone, actually, this isn't where I need that one to go. I, but that, the first book's already published. I've got to kind of pretend that wasn't it. Um, I would always that, say, that if that's the case, though, with like episodic TV, don't overpromise. Don't don't promise the Doctor's death if you're not going to mm. deliver the Doctor's death, you know? like Yeah. Yeah, I assume with that one, I feel he knew the answer to that. I feel he had to, but then it's just, um, again, there might be just tweaks and because you don't know how well that episode is going to work, and that's the thing. So I feel that that one, I, I feel with, I mean, River Song uh, plot doesn't quite make a massive amount of sense to me when they actually analyse it and put it in the right order. But I suppose a lot of it is enjoying the journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and yeah, as I say, in terms of what Holmes is doing here, it's definitely an easier prospect because he is writing this in one go. So he has been able to go back and tweet. I imagine, in terms of, to answer your, your question, I, I it's hard to say where you get ideas. I think, very least, this is at least partially inspired by trying to find a creative solution to the logistical budgeting problems, really. I, th I, th I think that idea of two stories maybe being two stories in very different locations, occasionally maybe the Doctor and Joe crossing between them. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Um, and, and then he just, you know, um, is brilliant. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, that, 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 that's the thing. I think um, it manages to pull something really astonishing out of it. Also, it's, it's, it's worth saying, this is almost always the story I try and like, if I want to um, persuade new young viewers into watching old Doctor Who, Carnival of Monsters is the perfect one to show them. Really? Uh, and does that always work? Because it, it's, it's, yeah, it's because it's, um, it, it's not one of the more violent or dark or, or disturbing ones. It's a very accessible story. It's really good fun and filled with really exciting images. Um, yeah, because there are certain ones where you're going, okay, almost all the ones you think, well, oh, this is getting violent, or this one, and trying to figure out what to yeah. show like a six-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, it's surprisingly hard, where you're going, it needs to have a certain degree of sophistication. It needs to be good. It needs to be one of the good ones, really. Um, and Carnival is, is almost always the one I pick on the base to go, well, certainly it worked for me. Um, incidentally, Valerians mentioned there. Um, I, I always got a bit obsessed with the Valerians, and so I brought them into the Trouble with Tracks as well, because I, oh. I love the idea of this, this species of gamblers. I have to tell um, you, my, my friend Jack, who I do my podcast, The Mind Will Be Praised with, that is his favourite Big Finish story, The Trouble with Dragons. Oh, I'm delighted to hear that. I'm very proud of that one. But now, it's, I don't want to um, give away the twist in that, because it's terrific, but yeah. I'm figuring you kind of knew that ending um, and built to that. What I did with that one was, um, oddly enough, we started that one, we were having discussions about potential... I'd, I'd had a vague idea of, of how to do a sequel to City of Death with Scaroth, uh, but we couldn't get the rights. So we're going, well, should we do Drax instead? And usually, 
usually I will spend like a month, two months trying to get like the basic premise of something. I'll be kind of going, okay, I've got faith. I'm feeling around an idea. And, and, and I thought of the central conceit kind of instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, not, I, and then I figured out the most fun version of that was just to narrow it down to just the, being very vague, to narrow it down to those specific people. And then going away and working out the plot, like the actual beats of how did this plot work, then took about two months. So I, I was literally hustle with Time Lords, I think I can probably get away with saying. Um, yeah. And um, and then the two months ago, so how do the actual beats of the plot work? That it makes sense. That every time there is a new twist, it still makes sense. And that carries on. So every time you think this could plausibly be the last twist. I mean, that was, that, that's, and that's, yeah, yeah. And it, and it just keeps layering. Um, and I just get thinking to myself, He's got some nerve to do this, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I would hope you were utterly infuriated by it. Occasionally, yeah. it's like I saw someone I think was like live tweeting it on Twitter the other week, and, and just this moment, you can see them getting the reveals all the time. Going, oh my God. <laughs> and occasionally, that's when I'll play to, like, in, in terms of playing to friends who kind of go, if you're interested in hearing one of mine, you'll probably enjoy this one. Mm. Yeah. This is kind of fun. It, it's it's not very again. It's it's not a Doctor Who. It's not a terribly serious one. It's not terribly violent. No, but it's, uh, it's but it is quite. It's plotted to within an inch of its life. So oh, see, I mean, like um, that as well. Yeah. Stories where it's like twist after twist after twist, and you're going, "How many times can this happen?" And then it happens again. And it, and I, even when you I, think, "Right, that's done. I, that's done. Surely there's no more." And then there's yeah. another one. Yeah, I I felt when I I remember doing it, just thinking. I think this twist has got a half-life. So mm. that if you notice, it takes, like, the first version takes about an episode to turn up and then about another half and then about a quarter and then about an eighth. So every every time you get to the next one much more quickly than yeah, the previous yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's because it's like, just that um, moment going, yeah, the next time, leave it too long and people will realise. So, do you yeah. remember in um, Last Christmas, Stephen Moffat's Last Christmas, yes. where it was the twist, oh no, this isn't real. No, this, and I've seen that done on TV, like Doctor Who's done that before. You know, every, every science yeah. fiction show's done that. And it's exactly the same. He just paced it brilliantly. So as we hit towards yeah. the, the climax, it was like twist, 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 and the momentum built. It, it's also weirdly, it's a thing that's really hard to judge from the script writing side. Because... Uh, because most of the time you can get the vague sense, weirdly enough, of going, oh, I think this is quite sad, I think this is quite scary, all of that. You've got a vague sense of the tone as you write it. Twists, you never don't know what the twist is. So you can't tell uh, when you're writing and going, when do people figure this out? Yeah. So um, every now and then, um, I've heard one and I've listened to it go, oh, just because of how the performances are done and the way the music works, just going, Oh, no, they've got it there, haven't they? And it's about a page earlier than I wanted them to. Um, and, and that happens from time to time. But um, not always. But there was a the thing I wrote earlier this year, which was a non-Doctor Who thing, a non-Big Finish thing. Um, and I was very aware of that having a twist. So I was, I was then giving it to people, saying, can you read the storyline? Right. And okay. just see if the surprise, so just, just gauging if the surprise works. People got it. And then, yeah, and another one, I sent the script out to someone who's going, I'm not going to tell you what I'm looking for. But what I was really looking for was just this moment of going, did it did it feel like it hung hung together? Did you see where it was come, where it was going? Or then when it was revealed, did you go, oh yeah, that all makes perfect sense? And kind of yeah, it was it was um because it was sort of like hooked around the twist. It was a bit of a sort of the tales of the unexpected kind of thing. Um 
but I was very aware I wanted to get the twist right. And um, yeah, so, so getting an audience to listen to it is always the key factor of that. And sometimes it's me, sometimes it's me listening and going, yeah, I figured that out. For me, right, twists were precise. My, my uh, review site I do, the reason I started yes. deconstructing stories um, yes. rather than because I used to write stories, but then I got to a point where I just wanted to understand stories and then write yes. about them. Um, and it was a twist. It was a twist in uh, an episode of The New Outer Limits, of all things. When I was quite yeah. young, um, that blew my mind. And I and I just said to myself, I want to understand how I was tricked. And so I yes. went back and, 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 and ever since then, you know, I, I've not stopped. It, yeah, it, it's, it's a fascinating thing to watch for. I do love, I think everyone loves a good twist, as yeah. I say, particularly because if you do it right, there's a few things I like. I think I, I, you've obviously got to play fair. Usually, I think um, I, I, I think the best twist is the one where you, as the audience member, get it the split second before you're explicitly told. Yeah. So a good example of that, I would say, is the third man, um, where I, I, you know, to be fair, I've got a slightly misguided version of that because one, I already knew what the twist was, and two, the version of the first version of I saw was in a, was in Vienna. Um, in a slightly broken print, so over the key moment. But I think the, in The Third Man, you figure out precisely what's going on. Kind of broadly speaking, the very latest, when the moment um, Orson Welles smiles, um, is the moment where you go, oh my, oh, he's got, he's got this, I haven't been a naughty boy smile, where you just go, I've just figured this out. If you haven't figured it out then, and then the, literally the next thing that happens is is uh, the line from uh, Joseph Cotton that spells out exactly what, what the plot twist is. And you go, oh, I just feel like I'm being fooled. <laughs> and it just shifts the whole thing. Um, amazing film, amazing film. You know um, so weird? yeah, that, I always like, yeah, the audience to get it the split second before. What's weird about this story is I don't yes. think there's ever a moment where it's like, oh, it's the miniscope. You know, they're all in the miniscope. There isn't like a, a, a twist reveal, is there? It's just kind of... I suppose the hand is kind of that in a way. But it's, oh, I um, suppose. Yeah, I suppose. But it's... Because um, you've got to kind of... That's the thing. You've got to mark them to a degree. Even if the audience has got, you kind of need to have that moment going, and here's the twist. Um, <laughs> just just make it clear and as, as neat as possible, I think. Um and that, that's what I think it, it does here. And then, yeah, just is, and this is how it connects. Make it as, and, and that's the beauty of it. It's done in an incredibly simple, single image. Yeah. Uh, admittedly, there's a lot of effects, but it's just literally, how do these two items connect? How do these two different plot lines connect? You'll find out by them literally connecting. I'm telling you now. So someone reaching out of one plot into the other. Cut. Oh, that's marvellous. <laughs> in the current iteration of Doctor Who, it would be spelled out to a ridiculous degree, you know? Like, yeah. you, are you paying attention, audience? This is what's going on, you know? It's Whereas, weird, yeah, because I think there's uh, a I mentioned of... Arrival earlier, and Arrival is a slightly awkward one because I, I think there's a lot of times when people who don't usually do science fiction do science fiction. They occasionally don't think, think they're a little bit more pleased with the, 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 the big stuff than you go, but that's turned up a bit before. Um, and Arrival slightly overplays at hand. There's a point where you just go, you've, you've just done something very clever. You don't need to ram it. I've figured yeah. it out. And it just <sighs> keeps... Hitting really it back like a bit, that. so um, which is a bit of a shame because otherwise that's a really good film. Whereas, like in something like this, with the hand coming, you're kind of trusting the audience to get it, you know? Like, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it absolutely explicitly makes it. But you, again, that's the thing with it: just you need to make it as clear as possible, as quickly 
and as simply as possible, I think. Um, just needs to be absolutely bang, here it is. Um, every now and then, again, I've done a few recently where you need to like do the, the explanations of what people have missed in the, 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 the sleight of hand, but have that with the Avengers, for example. Um, um, and that's always the bit you don't, you, that's the other difficulty with it, is you don't want it to just descend into a lot of expo exposition about here is what you've missed, here is, here is all of these things where we're being terribly clever, yeah. but, and then but that, get through it as not quickly even as you lie, can. There's plenty of TV out there that does that, you know. Yeah, but ideally, you just you know, you don't want to be at this point where they, everybody stops to explain the plot to each other. Well, do you, and, do you know uh, what I think? It's the most like egregious example of that in Doctor Who. I really, I love the scene and I hate the moment, and that is Nissa going, "He was the Doctor all the time." In look, and I'm like. Well, of course he is. Yeah. He's going into him, you and know. It, and of course, it's dubbed on later, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, it's yeah, and it's clearly this bit of going. Or oh, doesn't somebody? Somebody's given a note going. Is it clear enough? What's going on? Go, yeah. yeah, it is. It's fine. Oh, do you know need, what? Sometimes even worse is when they do a flashback to explain as yeah. well, and that irritates me as well. Oh, I've done. I've, I've kind of done that in a thing recently. Not exactly a flashback as such, but um, yeah, the the big reveal is um, kind of. Loads of clips from earlier in the episode. Where it's kind of like the voices fading in, okay. um, where you get you, where you get the sense. Here are all the little bits that added together tell you what's happened. And that's and and that's perfectly valid. It's when it's yeah. like we don't trust that you were paying attention earlier. So here's a reminder yeah. of that scene, and that's just annoying. Whereas yeah, it, no, if a flashback good. has like an emotional impact on the scene that's playing out, fair enough. You know, yes. that's... yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I mean, it, it's it's. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting sort of structural thing to do. Anyway, so we've got to the end now, so this is all very satisfying and very kind of teasing. Well, uh, you, you say satisfying. I, I feel Terence Dix's hand here because everything is tied yes. up very neatly, and I know he yes. likes a neat wrap-up. Yes, that's the thing. It, it's it's just such a beautifully clean piece of work. Um, and, oh, that's very satisfying. The, the payoff yeah. of him saying, like, oh, that feels like the longest book I've ever read in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really nice. But as I say, I love, I love the fact that yeah, not that it, it's not even particularly interested in the plot for this one, is it? I mean, it's as, as I say, the villain's plot turns up really in episode three, and then the moment it, uh, he activates it, he realizes he's completely out of his depths and makes a mess of it, um, which is sort of hilarious, really. Oh, so, uh, but then it is, it, it's not really. You don't. You don't necessarily. This is the thing. The Doctor always defeats the villains, so they can. They can be a little bit not as good as as as, as they want to be at times. That's that's an awful lot of fun, really. I like. Yeah. Well, I, I love the fact that throughout most of this, John Pertwee is basically not in a position where he can solve anything. He's just on the run, isn't he? Yeah. He's in the work. Yeah, the that's machine. the thing. That, yeah, the the actual villain is. Oh goodness, that that is where they said the the, the thing didn't work, isn't it? Yeah. Um. The actual villain is um. Yeah. Traps. Away from the doctor, and the doctor doesn't get anything to do. Yeah, the moment the moment he arrived, the doctor basically goes, "I will turn up on the scene, and I will just defeat it straight away." That's quite entertaining, really. Um, yeah, I just I just read a book that was like that as well, where yeah, you, where they spend they deliberately kind of keep the villain away from the, the hero for like a good five hundred pages because you know that the, the villain is a little bit rubbish, and the moment they <laughs> the, the moment the hero encounters them, they just go, "Well, I'm the hero, and I just I just destroy you." Yeah, so yeah. It, it can happen. This is the doctor is is so good at what he does that yeah he is not going to be particularly threatened by a minor government official. 
there is i'll tell you what there's one thing we haven't talked about at all and that is oh no yes. briefly we did and that is just how extraordinarily well john perwey and katie manning work together like oh they are great and this they i think great. this I mean, story possibly yeah. highlights them at their absolute best the pair of yeah them no, it is it is it's just um peak peak uh, joe doctor material really they are um they're a lovely couple of, of characters and you know as, as i also I get slightly annoyed with things like with the demons where he's just so unbearably oh, rude yeah, to her. Yeah. Um, but this is the thing where it is, you know, the, the, a much friendlier, warmer aspect to him. Um, you know, you want to make sure that there, there is a love and affection there. It's, it's, a, it's a, a great thing to play with. He liked his moments of charm, didn't he, John Perway? Yes, yes. Okay, um, well, we, we only have, moments, we have like a couple of minutes here. Um, yeah. I'll do this at the end of each of these. Um, yeah. And since we haven't spent too long talking about Carnival of Monsters, who cares? Yeah. Um, <laughs> why don't you tell me why somebody should go to their shelf right now, grab Carnival of Monsters and put it on? Um, because it's, it's broadly speaking, I think just like one of the greatest Doctor Who stories of all time, it's Doctor Who stretching um, the limits of its format. Um, it's um, it, there isn't there is genuinely not another story like it in the canon. I would say um, it's um, incredibly inventive um, it, it, in terms of uh, what it's come out with. It's got um, an unusual structure and shape, and villains, and all of these things. Um, you know, there is almost any other story you pick, you'll be able to find one that's, that does similar things mm. and th this one has great monsters it has funny lines it has um an incredibly smart and original idea at its heart um and not to say other doctor stories can't do that but that's the one where um you know there is there, there is no other plot that that has this this um glorious sort of central conceit this um doing where there almost no real bad guys for a good chunk of it where it is um you know a a slightly light-hearted question survival filled with exciting twists. I think it's also a great one to just like watch with anyone, really. As I, said, I mean, even if saying the opening scenes are a little bit awkward, uh, and the, the the stuff might seem a little bit embarrassing. As I say, all Doctor Who, the classic crew kind of does now. Anyway, even the ones you think look great don't. They all look a little bit stagey and rubbish. It would have um, been. Do you think it would have been so easy to go from the three doctors to something like yeah? Because we're out in space now, the TARDIS is working. Mm. It would have been so easy to go to something like Planet of the Daleks straight away. You know, like yes, all out action yeah. affair. And instead, they just do this wonderfully creative, colourful, silly, yeah, funny story. It's just gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous. And um, and and it is the epitome for me of what I think Doctor Who should be really. Um, it should have a lot of heart because it does um, in terms of Morgan Scherner particularly um, it should have a lot of wit and intelligence and it should be doing something unusual and different um, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a light-hearted funny one or, uh, or a slightly colourful one but it should always be striving to do something Doctor Who hasn't done before and taking it to a different place and a different uh, world and, and you know it really does, as you say. So it could that they they haven't taken the easy option, haven't gone straight back to Daleks or monsters or the Master or anything like that. Um, it's it's just being creative and fun 
and um, yeah, just pure enjoyment. Also. I think you've just summed up Doctor Who there, being creative, fun, and pure enjoyment. Yeah, that's it, really. That's that's the, your ideal Doctor Who. But that just leaves me to say thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for My sharing. My pleasure. It's been a delight chatting. All of your stories. Um, My pleasure. Thank you. What's before we go what's can you say what's due to come out what's coming out soon oh i mean um i'm trying to think if there's anything i can mention i don't know if there's i mean i i I can tell things i can say things i've been influenced by i mean there's there's um at least one which was uh i i read dune relatively recently i'll just try and do something that's a bit like dune that's recording okay in a few weeks and it's weird that's um deliberately quite a weird story um i get to have a bit of a control in a, a specific area of um of the universe um that i'm kind of leaning into doing some weird stuff with which is quite fun um I, i'm really looking forward to um the rest of the dalek universe and monster uh, i can't say the title um <laughs> my um, cyberman story i nearly said the title then um <laughs> Um, my, the, the Chris Ferguson Sidemen story, which is one of my favourite scripts. Chris Ferguson was very um, complimentary about that one. Your, um, um, and your... I think it's I, that was one of my favourites from last year. I think the ones I wrote, Buying Time and The Wrong Woman, and uh, the, the, the Cyberman story um, are a couple of my all time favourites I've written. Um, so I'm very excited for that. I haven't heard it yet, but your Dalek Universe story that not long yes. came out had such an incredible response. I was seeing people talking yeah. without, I was trying to figure, I was trying to find the twist online and no one would say it. So I'm like, no, for people God's have been sake. really good about it. Everyone would find the twist so astonishing. I think a few people blurted it out straight away, like about an hour oh. afterwards. And, and then enough, enough people said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. But they went, oh yeah, you know what? You're, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, so yeah, it was, um, it was really nice that people decided to be reserved about it and are still being reserved even now. So 